0: Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast. My name's Chris Bound, the editor at Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined on this podcast by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director. We'll be speaking this week about three topics that have caught our eye, and the first of those is that we are turning once again to Spain. Last week we were talking about the operators in the Spanish cities, um, revealing they had quite a good summer. Uh, this week we're turning our attentions to investment activity, and in particular... A, an outfit called Millennium Hotels Real Estate who are making quite a splash. Now, just to be clear, this is not the Asian-run Millennium and Copthorne group. Uh, these, these Spaniards spell Millennium with just one N in the middle, so it's nice <laughs> and easy if you spot the difference. Um, but this is a company that has had a bit of a history investing in, in real estate in Spain and has made, made a big play into the hotel uh, sector more recently they uh, listed themselves on the uh, junior spanish market in july this year uh, and have already got through their initial funds and have just recently um, pitched for another 400 million euros from uh, raising capital from their investors and uh, already looks like they've got plenty of uh, estate to spend it on plenty of hotels they've found in uh, cities around spain um, and uh, the warning is that they'll have they've got more in the pipeline, and they want to go on to the main market next year. So, here's someone who's not hanging about, uh, Mr. Javier Ilian. Uh, the boss is uh, on a is, is running fast and looks to be finding opportunities where um, perhaps others have already moved on.
1: Yeah, well, I, I, it's interesting you say about others moved on, but I think it's definitely the case that um, we had a, a, a huge amount of interest over the last sort of half-dozen years from private equity. Um, they were um, all over the Spanish market, um, and the, the big deal being um, Blackstone's acquisition of Hispania, that, uh, another REIT. I mean, it's got offices and resi in there as well as hotels, but... The, um, Blackstone paid $2 billion for it last uh, summer, um, 2018 summer. And, um, and in some ways that was probably the high watermark of activity by the private equity funds until and they've now moved further east along the Mediterranean coast, seeking out opportunities in places like Greece. I'm not sure they're going to come across anything like they have found in Spain, however. But that's a discussion for another time um, <laughs> what we are talking about is what's gone in, on in Spain and I think the Spanish market has the hotel investment market has been transformed um, over the last few years um, it, it's now up there with uh, the most liquid um, Hotel investment market in Europe: the so UK, Germany um, is there, and now Spain. So this is triumphant up the top there in terms of big, big scale liquid market. So last year, uh, you're talking uh, just shy of five billion euros transacted in terms of in, in investment volumes in Spain, making it a, you know pretty big ahead of Germany, just ahead of mm-hmm. Germany, and way bigger than say France or Italy. Um, and back in 2010 it was just 750 million and in fact this dipped um, down in 2012 it was barely over half a billion so it's gone up tenfold since 2012 so it's it's quite a quite an increase Uh, and this is part of this is just a transformation that's going on in the market it's moved from being dominated by independence it's now a market which is nearly three quarters branded and in the hands of hotel chains it's still quite owner operated which is interesting so about 60 percent just over 60 percent owner operated but lease is a big feature nearly a quarter uh, management is just getting going just over 10 percent and tiny share of Franchising, barely four percent of the market being f- franchised, but that's going to change. Franchising is growing quite rapidly. I can see the the owner-operated piece weakening um, and moving more towards uh, the kind of. Separation that we've seen in the uk and we're beginning to see in 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 germany, too um, But there's great tailwinds for this the spanish hotel market um, Of course, you've got that but really strong and um, tourism economy So second biggest globally after um second biggest in europe anyway, um after france um 80 nearly 83 million arrivals last year um, And uh, I it, I I think in in terms of the overall macroeconomic picture in Spain it's one of the faster growing um, of of the sort of major economies, um, certainly much faster than Germany which has just avoided recession um, in the last quarter, faster than France, UK of course faster than the stagnant italian economy so spain in many ways look is a, remains a very attractive bet and it makes sense for institutional money like millennium to be coming in now at this point and taking up these um, um, hotel opportunities that are there on, on lease deals um, which of course if you're a reit um, so it's just the the sashimi, the I think that's how you pronounce it, Sokimi, I don't know how's your Spanish, Chris. <laughs> um, but um, S O C I M um, I. But the Spanish uh, uh, Spanish equivalent of REITs, uh, real estate investment trusts. Um, so it makes sense for this more institutional type money to be getting in there. And I think one final thing I would say is that hotels are already the dominant real estate asset class in Spain. Um, they are now. Uh, the uh, what, what were they last year they were 32 percent of the overall market against the next nearest which was offices and um, retails 28 percent. There's been a bit of a shift I mean just a couple of years ago um, offices were 40 percent um, and hotels just 17 percent so there's been quite a shift there and that reflects the emphasis investors are placing um, on hotels now and, and the availability of investable and institutional quality assets
0: Mm. and one of the things that that was made clear to me was that Millennium is is succeeding by spotting some of the off market opportunities and perhaps some of the opportunities that were uh, uh, not seen as opportunities by other people just because they're a bit messy or a bit complicated or perhaps require the uh, massaging of some family egos to to agree a, a sale. So um, good luck to them if they can get round and uh, pick offers.
1: Yeah, I think that's interesting actually because uh, in theory that's what opportunity funds ought to be doing. But um, on a single asset basis, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, they picked up that W in um, in Madrid quite recently. What's that? Eighty eighty two million euros. Um, so which is uh, a
0: work in progress project. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it yeah. is,
1: um, but it makes sense um, yeah. for, for, for of, of that scale, a fund of this size to be picking up assets like that.
0: Mm. Right now, we're off to Japan, where of course uh, preparations are underway for next year's Summer Olympics. A uh, curious market, is, uh, hotel market is uh, is Japan, um, quite difficult to get into, um, and uh, illustrating that is <laughs> currently. Um, Uh, a little bit of a bidding war over a group called Unizo Holdings, uh, which um, ironically uh, received a hostile bid from another Japanese uh, holiday group. They called on uh, some friends of theirs, a company called Fortress, to uh, act as a white knight and make an alternative deal and then uh, (laughs) promptly cold-shouldered Fortress. now we've got Blackstone going into getting into the mix, and uh, most recently Uniza reported they reckon they've got half a dozen people interested in bidding for them, but presumably they're going to give them all an equally hard time when it comes to uh, agreeing a, uh, a transaction. So that's just indicative of the kind of fun and games that uh, foreigners can have when they want to invest into the uh, the Japanese market.
1: Mm. It's interesting your your piece. The one thing that worried me, I mean your. Uh, in your piece that you've written for us for this week's um, uh, perspective chris is this obsession with the olympics and do you remember nancy reagan and her drug thing just say no (laughs) and I, I, i i think we need some sort of course like this for for people who become obsessed about one-off events like the olympics just you're not building a hotel just for the few months of the event it's madness yeah. and yet somehow the madness just does grip the credit committees and it's the usually the spouse of the, the chairman of, of the. it's a bit committee. like it's just um, you've
0: got to have your new carpet or your new furniture for christmas isn't it it's, it's, it's exactly. a random date it's, it's, and just you know yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah it, 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 it's 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 a little bit crazy, actually, um, but um, and we've certainly seen a big spike in supply in Japan. Now, um, that is, I think, going to cause a. Uh, a few wobbles over the next couple of years um, as the I mean, one of the things we've seen from previous Olympics actually is in the run-up to it and the aftermath to it you actually have less trade so overall you could well see less tourism in Japan um, but I think in the medium to longer term um, after 2020 um, the new supply um, will help stimulate um, um, the revival um, and help stimulate visitation
0: to Japan which has been growing quite well um, anyway hasn't it the last few years they've been yeah, doing yes, very very absolutely. well yeah, and I think, you know, never mind yeah, Olympics
1: yeah, I, I mean I think yeah it's a great it is a great tourist it's a undersold tourist destination actually um yeah as you know i was there yeah. in october for a couple of weeks i mean they do have you know natural disasters but the japanese are super organized They had a i mean last year they had a few typhoons nothing like the one i i saw which was the worst one in decades actually but um they had a few things which just they had an outbreak of measles i think in okinawa which um put people off going okinawa's the well, big holiday resort destination put people off going there um, and um, um, you know the odd, odd, odd bit of uh, um, typhoon here and there put people off but they're very resilient in terms of, I mean when I, it was about a hundred people died in in that uh, during that typhoon I um, suffered when I was there uh, but then for the next day by midday the trains are up and running again I mean they're super organized the Japanese are uh, dealing with this kind of stuff but Partly because they have have it so frequently, they suffer these typhoons, or they suffer earthquakes. Um, so I mean, un- unless it's a disaster of the kind of um, when they had the tsunami, which um, uh, back in 2011, which led to the nuclear disaster there. Unless it's something of that scale, I, you know, which I, I don't think ha- you know you, you can't see that happening very often. Um, I think it's it's you know they are resilient enough just to go over these small blips. Um, and and you know as a market though I think the worry bit is this supply piece so um, I was looking there was a Savills report um, and that between 2018 and 2020 supply in Tokyo um, to grow 25 percent Osaka the second biggest metropolis after Tokyo up 23 percent and even Okinawa the, the uh, resort destination as I said up twenty percent. So this is all I think a cause for concern in the in in the short term. Uh longer term though I can see this um it being uh, Positive for development of um, a bigger and stronger hotel industry in Japan, and a bigger Perhaps and stronger.
0: 2021, um, we're going to see. Uh, we're going to see all the brands running around and signing up, impecunious. impecunious yeah,
1: yeah, I, th- I think so. Yeah, certainly, that I mean, you know, th- there's going to be a bit of pain out there. There's going to be opportunity yeah. following you know, as a result of that pain. And I think you're right. I think the brands are going to have a role to play there uh, as this visitation picks up because historically there hasn't been the the international visitation which should warrant international brands but perhaps as that gets stronger then um we're going to see a, a lot bigger presence for international brands and i now.
0: suppose if you're planning a trip then 2021 is a good year to go to to japan as well because <laughs> because the, the hotel yeah, prices are going to be quite sure. good value <laughs> right <laughs> now our third topic we're going to talk about is uh, is co-living um something that uh, us older folk perhaps <laughs> struggle to get our heads around but it's a thing it's a big thing and it's a grow it's it's certainly a growing uh growing way of living in cities around the world uh, not just in the west but uh, across asia as well Um, and uh, for those who are interested in investing in buildings with beds it does look to be uh, an an emerging sector that could offer the next opportunity for uh, those who've got who appreciate a bit more adventurous investment to uh, get some quite strong returns
1: Absolutely, I think we're seeing quite a shift here in terms of the um, how investors are perceiving the so-called alternative sector, um, and this is what which um, co-living is part of, and as. As increasingly being known as the operational real, est- as the operational real estate. And co living really is a subset of the overall, what we call multifamily, which is the investable bit of. Um, um, residential real estate um and 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 if you take that investable bit of residential real estate um that that's and you lump you would include things like student accommodation you'd call include things like elder elder living elder housing um it's uh, it's now according to savills um it is now only just shy of the size of the biggest commercial real estate asset class offices um, so it's becoming a um, a very significant um, play and um, and while multifamily which is this bill to rent offer is 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 the dominant piece within within that um, co-living is 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 perhaps the fastest growing or one of the fastest growing pieces of it Uh, it's quite an exciting thing I think for from a hotelier perspective because if you look at something like co-living and you look at a lot of these things like elder housing there's elements of hospitality incorporated in the operating models of these you've got this this common area shared public space hoteliers are very good at maximizing returns from this at running these things um, there's also an element in which you've got to have yield management um, with co-living you've, you, you know you want to keep the whole point of co-living is that you can come and go easily in terms of your rental contract and it, it's you know it requires much more active um sale of of that property space that sort of thing would give traditional,
0: uh, traditional residential landlords a bit of a bit of a headache wouldn't it you know the idea that you you can't tie people in for a year at a time and then know when they're quitting or get them to renew for another six months or a year you know it's much much easier in and easier out isn't it and that w- that will play very much to the hotel management model
1: Oh, absolutely! Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, absolutely, and and, and I, I think this is the way. I mean, it's sweating those assets. I mean, this is one of the yeah. You know, they call it the sharing economy, but it's a platform economy. But th- this notion that you, you you have these assets and you're going to make make them work a bit harder, um, and you know, you don't have the void periods that you would have. Certainly, within you know, co-working. The, the the idea is that you really avoid the the long void periods you can get, say in the office market, and you, and you push it out um, and through. The smart yield management you can make sure you've got at least some income stream even if it dips off in 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 terms of a downturn so i i think there's there's a lot there um for hotels and hotel operators to get stuck into and indeed we're seeing executives from across the hotel industry popping up into these sort of co-living um um offers so it's it's a really interesting time right now to to be a hospitality specialist and to see all these different types of operational real estate emerge. and one of the things
0: that really struck me having a look at this sector was the extent to which it's it's growing massively in countries such as india um, and it's not just kind of western european you know phenomenon or as a follow-on from students living in comfy student apartments it's uh it really is a
1: well I, I, absolutely I think that's one of the but I mean you know you have this pressure on real estate in big urban markets like India I mean we have you know they have these bizarre blips so uh, Mumbai you know, some of the most expensive offices in the in globally some of the most expensive real estate globally simply because of the the huge surge in demand that's there and the limited supply particularly in downtown Mumbai which is on a peninsula places like that you get this and of course you know, co-living is a solution to this where you've got really constrained supply and um, co-living can come in and really make it work smaller spaces more efficient use of that space um, and, that, and it, you know in theory at least everybody yeah, is really. a winner
0: well that's all for this week um, and we hope you enjoyed that and uh, we'll be back again soon with more thoughts meanwhile bye for now